for our reading tonight, let's turn to Acts 15. Turn to Acts 15, and we'll also look at page 938 at the back of our hymnals. So Acts 15, um, we'll be reading verses 1 through 35. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas um, and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has Uh, related how God, first concerning himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from all things uh, contaminated by idols and from fornication, from what is strangled and from blood." For Moses from ancient generations has in every city 
those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called uh, Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among them, the brethren, and they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles' greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number uh, to whom we give no instruction had disturbed you with these words, unsettling your souls, it seems good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved uh, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they sent, um, so when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many other words also, the word of the Lord. Then we look at chapter 31 of Synods and Councils. I'll look at uh, section 2 later, but let's look at section 1 for now. It says here in section 1 of chapter 31, page 938. For the better government and further edification of the church... There ought to be such assemblies as are commonly called synods or councils, and it belongeth to the overseers and other rulers of the particular churches by virtue of their office and the power which Christ hath given them for edification and not for destruction to appoint such assemblies and to convene together in them as often as they shall judge it expedient for the good of the church. Let's pray together. Blessed Lord, we thank you for granting unto your church, according to Holy Scripture, according to this chapter of of Scripture, a connected body that each congregation should not stand on its own, but that you have connected your church in organizations as far as synods and councils and presbyteries of sorts, We thank you that you have not left us on our own, but that you have given us a a wider body of believers. We thank you for this blessing and help us, we pray, to understand and to apply this, your holy word, as we study and seek to understand in a greater measure what provision you have given unto your church. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
Uh, we just read earlier section one. Um, before we start and look at what um, this chapter has to say, there is a little bit of a, dile- a dilemma about uh, the terms synod and council. According to one source, a synod is a council of the Christian church. The word comes from the Greek synodos, meaning an assembly, and it is synonymous with the word council that comes from the Latin concilium. So if you look at the origin of the words council and synod, they kind of have a same background, you could say. But apart from this origin, there is a way, I believe, that the words are used in accordance with the confession. So we have a synod being something that's more of a regional meeting. Um, you could say that's when we have Presbytery of the South meetings and I got have to go to Florida. You could say that's a synod meeting, what we have. Um, but an ecumenical meeting that was of the whole entire known church getting together to deal with Arianism, as in the Council of Nicaea, that is clearly a council that happened there in 325 um, we're going to look at this in a little bit. Um, we, we just studied what we call the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Um, you read some Reformed authors, some call it the Jerusalem Council. Some call it the, the Jerusalem Synod. Um, well, which was it, a synod or a council? I think, um, actually, it's, neither term is actually used in the Bible. Um, we know it's a, it was an assembly, right? And we know that it was a regional church getting together to deal with the problems that happen in a local church. So again, as we study Acts 15.2, the first thing we'll notice was that the church in Antioch, we know that it's the church in Antioch by looking a little further back. Um, if you look at chapter 5, 14, um, you remember that when you read the Bible, there, there are no chapter breaks in the original Greek language. So it really, the whole book of Acts flows together without chapter divisions. So it says in verse 27, uh, actually verse 26, when from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. So when this occurrence happens and they have the Judaizers show up on the scene, that Paul and Barnabas are ministering. You can guess that they're ministering as leaders of the church there in Antioch. Um, and then that's when the, the Judaizers come in uh, and say this in verse uh, 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, you, you wonder to yourself, you think if you had Barnabas and Paul, the, the holy apostle, commissioned by Jesus himself, that this matter could have been taken care of by these two, you could say, mighty men of the faith. But they, obviously it wasn't. Even having Paul and Barnabas here, they had, it's, it's, uh, I think little, literally in the Greek, it's no little dissension which we translate that, understand that to be a great dissension, and a lot of debate going on, but they still could not resolve the matter. 
So we don't know who it was, but the church in Antioch, someone had wisdom to say, let's go to the higher authority. Let's go and ask of those who, who are leaders in the church in Jerusalem, and we're going to try to get them to help handle this matter. And that's exactly what they did. So using the language of the Westminster Confession of Faith, section 1, those in the local church in Antioch asked for an authoritative doctrinal statement that you could say would be expedient for the good of the church. As section 2 says is here, it belongeth to synods and councils ministerially to determine controversies of faith and cases of conscience. So again, whether it was a Jerusalem council or a Jerusalem synod, Jerusalem assembly, uh, it did settle the problem of this controversy of faith. It basically said that you can't put a yoke on the Gentiles more than they can bear. Our fathers weren't able to bear it, and why should you lay it on the Gentiles? And they, the resolution was put down in writing, and the letter was sent to the local church. It's, um, it, and I believe that this was not only a matter of faith, a controversy of faith, it was a matter of conscience. I'm sure some people uh, were highly troubled. It, it, did, it does say that they were troubled. Um, if you look at Acts 15, 24, it says that they were disturbed what these Judaizers were doing to the church. Um, it says, we gave them no instruction that they came in and disturbed you with their words. It messed, you could say, it, it really damaged their conscience. Am I saved or not? Do I have to be circumcised to be saved? Do I have to follow all the statutes of the law of Moses to be saved? Do I have to do everything that is written down in all of those statutes? Of, and especially, I'm sure, the Judaizers were pushing laws concerning the clean and unclean. You have to wear only one fabric a fabric of only one material and go the list could go on and on of what the judaizers were pushing on that gentile church so here we have the local congregation making an appeal to a higher authority and that's found here in scripture in the case of the opc our regional synod or presbyteries can make an appeal to a higher authoritative body which we would call the general assembly Now, section 2 says that it goes on to mention there are other matters that synods and councils can handle ministerially. It says that the synods and councils are to set down rules and directions for the better ordering of the public worship of God. How do we fulfill that? Well, we have a little booklet called the, the OPC Directory for Public Worship of God. That, is, that, that little book has that section there in fulfillment of the, what the Westminster Confession of Faith says is the role of a synod or a, a council. Uh, it says that it's also to set down rules for government of his church. We have two books in, the, in that little booklet as well. One of them is called The Form of Government. The other one is called The Book of Discipline. How are you to set up a church? What offices are you, what sort of officers to the church can you have? How do you elect an officer? How do you ordain an officer? How do you carry out things in the church? 
How do you handle discipline cases in the church? All that stuff has been laid out in those two books. But still yet, there is more that the synods and councils are to handle ministerially. According to section 2, it says that both the synods and councils are to receive complaints in cases of maladministration, that means bad administration, and authoritatively to determine the same. Which decrees and determinations, if consonant to the word of God, are to be received with reverence and submission, not only for their agreement with the word, but also for the power whereby they are made, being, as being an ordinance of God appointed thereunto in his word. So this last section, portion of section 2 that we just read, all that can be handled on the regional level by the presbytery. Um, when necessary, if the, if the agreement is not settled at the regional level, say by the Presbytery of the South, it then goes to the General Assembly for major matters of controversy. It, this is not the same thing, but it's very reminiscent of what we find out about the advice Jethro gave. Remember Jethro uh, went to Moses. Moses was trying to handle every little tiny matter that came before him, and he was relentlessly trying to handle everyone's problems. And his his father-in-law says, you're going to wear yourself out. What in the world are you doing? Well, and he said this, Select out of all the people, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders. I would say that they would be ordained elders, uh, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they bring to you, but every minor dispute they settle themselves, that they themselves will judge. And that's found in Exodus 18. Local congregations can handle the lesser disputes. Local congregations should be able to handle the lesser disputes. But when the big things happen, maybe you could say, the matters for the hundreds, or in this case, they go to the presbytery. In other words, instead of just three, instead of just two ruling elders and one teaching elder, pastor, myself, handling this situation, you, you got a, a larger body of elders and the wisdom God has given to them, both ruling and teaching elders, to then handle this problem. This larger group can handle the problem that maybe the regional church might have struggled with. So, especially when the GA, the General Assembly, makes a ruling of doctrinal statement, that would be the highest level. That would be the, the, the thousands, the group of thousands, um, leaders of thousands. Um, especially when this General Assembly uh, takes care of an agreement um, that is consonant, or that word consonant there means in agreement with the word, I believe that the regional presbyteries and the local congregations should receive what the General Assembly says with reverence and submission. Um, I'm very thankful that whatever we find in rulings made by the General Assembly, it's very often sought after to, to be in agreement with the Word of God. Um, it's important to know 
that your pastor and your elders here are not the final say-so. Um, we have to give an answer in this life. What do I mean by that? Well, in, in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, it talks about those who watch over your souls will have to give an account to God. But before we have to go to meet him to give an, an account, an answer to the final authority of all things, we need to give an account. The session of this church needs to give an account to the presbytery. If there's something going on where there's maladministration, someone's unlawfully excommunicated because we don't like the guy and there was no just cause and we just got rid of him because we didn't like him, um, then we, you know, that person could appeal to the, the presbytery and the presbytery could look into the matter. And I think that is a good thing. Um, I, I highly don't believe it's the case here in this church, but there are cases in, in, in other churches, in other presbyteries, other Presbyterian Reformed denominations where some leadership have run roughshod over congregants, over members. But what a blessing that you have a right to appeal. That you can go to the higher authority and then someone could look over your case and say, you know what? The, the leaders of that church were not right in doing what they did. And you should not have been excommunicated. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's called accountability. Uh, I think it's a good thing that this church has a presbytery to keep us accountable. Uh, in cases of, of maladministration, where in a session unjustly excommunicates a person or even a family, the right to file a complaint to a higher authority, I would say, is a great ordeal. It can last, right? from what I I remember it can last over a year or more, maybe years, because it, it goes from the local level of a session meeting to then to the General Assembly. And then you have to have one General Assembly a year, and you might not get on the docket for that one. It might be the next year. It might drag on for some years. But I think it's a wonderful thing and a privilege to have a higher level uh, to deal with, to have a right of appeal. Why do we even want to go through all this? Is this just a bunch of legal, unnecessary stuff? Or is it something found in Scripture? Well, we look at Acts chapter 15. A lot of what happened here was a local church could not handle the matter. They took it to the regional church. The regional church then made a declaration that was a great help and a great blessing to the local church. It's a wonderful thing because we are a connected church. Now, if, now, I've heard horror stories of individuals going and becoming members of individual standalone uh, congregational churches where you might have one pastor and some deacons and what he says goes. And if, if you don't like it, out you go. That scares me. That really scares me. It should scare you as well. But even that sort of example, it's, it's such a far cry away from what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches a connected church. We're connected with other bodies of believers, of Presbyterians throughout this entire nation. And it's a wonderful, sincerely blessed thing. Let's pray together. 
We thank you, O Father, that you have cared for your church, that you gave gifts to men to make some elders and some deacons, some um, gospel ministers. We thank you that you have given, Lord, your church the blessing of the presbytery. We thank you for all those who make up that body. We thank you for those uh, as well who make up um, the general assembly. We thank you for our denomination, for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and we do pray that you would give us wisdom, that we would grow in our appreciation of a connected church. And Lord, help us, we pray, to do what um, those in Antioch did, that when they received this news of the, the declaration, the doctrinal statement of the church, that they exalted and lifted up and exalted Jesus our Lord, Help us to exalt Jesus our Lord in that holy faith once delivered to the saints. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's stand for our closing hymn, uh, 292, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. Let's stand and sing 292.